a very, very horrific incident. On Thursday morning, a young man walked into a classroom in a community college in Roseburg, Oregon, and decided that he would take lives. For whatever reason, and the story will continue to come out. As the news started to come out, however, and yet full details not completed, it appears that the gunman chose to target people concerning their religious beliefs. A question was asked, what religion are you? And if they said Christian, he shot them in the head. If they did not say that, he shot them in other places. If you were in that classroom and you were the second person to be asked, what is your religion? What would you say? I think if you heard that story this week, all of us have thought, well, what would I say? I'm going like, oh my goodness. If I don't say that I'm a Christian, then I'm denying Jesus. But if I say a Christian, I'm going to be seeing Jesus. And that's apparently what uh, the gunman thought in his own mind. Now, maybe I do a variation of that. I don't know. Maybe I say, I'm a Yeshua disciple. And he would look at me and go, what? A disciple of Jesus. But the word Christian today, it's interesting because sometimes... um, it doesn't carry a lot of weight. Apparently in that room that day, it carried a lot of weight. Are you a Christian? Christian means little Christ, Christ follower. If I was to go up and down these rows of chairs and just look you in the eyes say, are you a Christian? I'm not asking you, are you a Christian in the generic sense of, oh, you live in a Christian country. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you have a, a good sense of, you know, things of Christianity are nice, a good moral code that you would like to do. But if I looked you in the eye and said, are you a Christian in the New Testament, that meant you were a follower of Yeshua. You were a follower of this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah who was persecuted, who was crucified, who rumor was he rose from the grave. But are you one of those? Are you one of the people of the way, as it was referred to? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a little Christ? I wish today, in part, that the word Christian carried some of that weight that it carried back in the New Testament. Do you realize, though, that in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times? They were first called Christians in Antioch, which was a town in modern-day Syria. King Agrippa, when he was questioning the Apostle Paul, accused him and saying, do you want me to be a Christian? No. And the Apostle Peter used the word Christian in one of his epistles, referencing, distinguishing between someone who had criminal conduct of suffering and someone who was a Christian who was suffering. The word Christian is only used three times in the Bible, but yet we use it today. And for whatever reason, it means all kinds of things to different kinds of people. And in general, it's sort of a watered-down term. And, and the reality is, it's a derogatory term in a lot of circles. You're Christian. I wish I could just change the name. But maybe what I wish isn't that I would change the name, but I would 
change the person who identifies with the name. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul would say. Don't throw out the name. Change the kind of person who's identified with the name. Have you ever heard of the story by Alexander the Great? He took over the throne at the age of 16 when his father was assassinated. At that time, uh, the army was a well-oiled machine. And Alexander the Great conquered the major parts of the known world at that time, the Western world, and, and established this kingdom that was around not only the European area and Greece and stuff, but into Asia he started to move in the north part of Africa. And he established Babylon as the place where he would sort of have his reign as a young man. And he fought a lot of violent type of battles. He won a lot. He was feared amongst all people. His name was Alexander. But because of the greatness of what he did, they called him Alexander the Great. And there's some different versions of the story, but the story is told that he would sit on his throne in this ancient city of Nebuchadnezzar. And sometimes he would have people who had issues come in to him. And he would make a judgment or a verdict against them. And so one of his leaders brought in a young soldier. And Alexander the Great had been handing down some pretty heavy punishments, including death with a lot of people because of what they had done. And this young soldier came in. And for whatever reason, Alexander the Great sort of softened his look to the young man. And he says, okay, what have you done? The person brought him in and said, he's a deserter. He deserted on battle. Alexander the Great looks at him and says, young man, what is your name? Young man looked up at him and he said, Alexander. Alexander the Great's countenance changed. And he became beady-eyed and he looked down and he says, What is your name? The young man said, "Uh, uh, Alexander. To which Alexander the Great got louder and he said, What is your name? And the young boy goes, "Uh, uh, 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 Alexander. Sir, Alexander the Great looked at him in the eyes and he said, grabbing him by the tunic, pulled him up, threw him down. And he said, son, change your conduct or change your name. To that, he let him go. And sometimes... I think the Apostle Paul would grab us by the tunic and say, What is your name? Christian. Christian. Christ representative? Follower of Christ? Little Christ? Look at your life! And he might very well give us the same kind of scolding and look at us and say, Change your conduct or change your name. Now, The Apostle Paul, if he was in that moment, 
I don't think he would be loud, bombastic. He wouldn't grab you and throw you down. He wouldn't be mean. Because he knows that contact that's not becoming to a Christian is really a punishment unto itself for that person. Because as a Christian, you should be able to come in to a life and live a life of abundance and joy, even though it may not be easy, even though somebody may point a gun at your head. But to be a Christian and not live it out in its full essence is your loss. Are you a Christian in name only? Or are you a Christian who carries the conduct and the life and the hope and the service of the one whom you're named after? Christ. Last week we looked at one of the highlight verses of Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossae which is modern-day Turkey, and, and he just exhorted them in a beautiful way. And your response last week was so rich and endearing to this, this highlight statement that he said concerning you as a Christian, that it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Colossians 1.26, he said, The mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now to close to the saints, to them, to all people, God has made known, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious, what? Riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are not to be Christians in mere name only. We are to be Christians in the full life that God intended for us to have. That life is his indwelling presence, his indwelling power. And we we went through that last week. But here's Paul, prison. In prison in Rome, writing this letter, laboring, struggling, as he mentions here. And he wants you to experience fullness and riches. He wants you not to be a Christian in name only, with questionable conduct that's all over the place and double-mindedness. He wants you and I to grow up and to find maturity as a believer and a follower of the Lord. Verse 28 said, He is the one we proclaim, Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Do you capture his job description? His job description is to labor, whether with them or in prison, whether close by or at a distance, whether through writing or in spoken word. He desires fully mature Christians, people who would grow up in the faith and enjoy all the riches that are to be had. And so he labors, he labors writing this letter and he he labors exhorting them. The word teleos is the word for mature. It occurs 19 times in other places, other translations. It's it's referenced as 
perfect. But it's not perfect in the absolute sense that you're to be a Christian who is perfect. It means perfect as it relates to maturity. Coming in to own that which you were intended to be. Not that you are sinless or that you don't stumble and you don't fall. And he labors for this to happen. Now here's the question though on the heels of a verse such as this. That we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What does it mean to have spiritual maturity? There's physical maturity, which is having a healthy and well-developed body. There is intellectual maturity, which is having a trained mind and a coherent worldview. There is moral maturity, people who have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, as it says in Hebrews 5.14. And then there is emotional maturity, a balanced personality, able to establish relationships and assume responsibilities. But above all those, there is spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is to have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ in which you worship, trust, love, pursue, and obey Him. This week, and you can pray about this, I guess, it was a step of faith and uh, ran it by the leaders of the church and we said we'll take it a week at a time and see how it goes. I was approached about... um, a group that wanted to use our facility for NA meetings, Narcotics Anonymous, because <laughs> because they're, uh, they were going black, as they said, on Fridays and Monday nights. I just didn't have a place in the community. It's hard to find a place. And so the gentleman came and he talked to me about it. I'm actually meeting with him after church, and uh, we're going to give it a go and let them use our facility Um, not this one, a room over in the other building, for Mondays and Friday nights. Because I believe God's called us to reach broken people. And it's not just the down-and-outer that has struggles with addictive behaviors, whether it's pain meds or stuff that's a lot worse. It's also the up-and-outers. So it's a variety of kinds of people. But he said a lot of churches, they don't want to... Sometimes they just want to do their own programs, which is like celebrate recovery and all those things are great. And and I would love to have that here someday. But, you know, this was a step to say, okay, God, you've given us these facilities. We pay a lot of money for these facilities and uh, they do sit empty a lot. So maybe this is one way that we can use it. So we're going to step into this. Okay, you can pray about that. But as I was talking to the gentleman, he's a really great guy and he's a professional person and he's given a little bit of his own testimony of how he found addictive behaviors. <laughs> you know, and his comment to me was he said something along the lines that he says, uh, we're spiritual, but we're not religious. Now, I didn't pry into that, but that's always an interesting statement for me. And it just reminds me of the culture in which we live and we do the two-step here and there. You know, it's like, well, we are spiritual in the sense of we know that it's something more than just the physical and the emotional, that there's a spiritual realm and we dial into that. And if you know anything about 12-step programs, they definitely are dialing into that. And all that's great and good. And, and then the word religious, what does the word religious mean? Is it institutional or whatever? And it just reminded me of how confused our culture is. But then I thought it's just not our culture, it's our church. What does it mean to be spiritual? 
Is it mean to have warm, fuzzy feelings and, oh, yeah, there's something transcendent happening in this moment or I feel it within me. There's this energy that's going to happen. And are you, Where are we at as Christians, really, when it comes to spiritual maturity? What is spiritual maturity? Well, Paul was very clear with what spiritual maturity was. It was centered on the person of Jesus Christ, of which we are named after if we claim to be a Christian. And spiritual maturity is to have a mature relationship with Jesus, one that you worship. You worship Him, you trust Him, you love Him, your heart pursues Him, and you, guess what? Change your conduct. You obey Him. Oh, how about that? Now you have mature and immature relationships all around you in life, don't you? And the immature relationships really start to grate on you after a while. It's like, would they just grow up? What do you think Jesus thinks sometimes with your relationship with him? Carrie, would you just grow up? Where's your head at today? Why are you worried about that today? What are you pursuing and thinking about today? Yeah, the means aren't there to accomplish that in life at the moment, but I'm here. I'm in your presence. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's spend time communing together. If you want to pursue spiritual maturity to be fully alive in Christ, to have full maturity, it's going to center on a relationship with Jesus. And you go, thanks. I appreciate that, Carrie. That's that's a good thing for a pastor to say. You're welcome. But you say, you know, I I don't see Jesus. I see my spouse every day. And I see my friends every now and then. And my co-workers. I have relationships with people that have skin on them. How do I have a relationship with Jesus? Well, let's pause and think about this just for a second. Can you have a relationship with someone that you don't physically see and touch? Happens on Facebook all the time for some of you folks. Okay? You get to know about the person. You find out information. You hear stories about their life. There's some people that are famous, maybe whether it's in sports, Hollywood, or politics, or whatever, that you think that you know. And you probably really don't. But you spend so much time sort of interfacing with knowledge and activity about them. You maybe don't know the underbelly of their life for sure, that kind of thing. But you have some sense of knowing them. Friends, you start with knowing Jesus by learning about Jesus. That's why an announcement about children's workers is not just, hey, we've got to fill the slots. My goodness, someone just about died in there, leading 19 kids last week. I mean, that's sort of why we go. No. At a K-1 level, we are teaching them about Jesus, knowledge-based, so that they can come to embrace and have a relationship with Christ. And some of you are handicapped in your spiritual maturity because you never had that instruction as a child growing up. And you've come to know Christ. You're checking Christ out this morning considering having a relationship with Him. And you're just sort of clueless because the information wasn't given there. Well, guess what, friends? We have tons of information about Jesus Christ, all kinds of stories, words of Jesus. We learn about Christ, and we learn that he's someone that we can worship, someone that we can trust, someone we can become endeared to. 
What about getting to know somebody by getting to know the people that they're friends with? Have you ever done that? In fact, there's a lot of times, you know, I tell you what, I mentioned Ozzy here. Ozzy, I told him I want to hear Ozzy's testimony someday, and I hear it's really good. Joe says that you can't hear Ozzy's testimony without having puffy eyes, even if you're a strong person. And so I said, hey, let's do lunch. Or he said, let's do lunch sometime and connect. I really don't know Ozzy. I did know he played a really good guitar today. But I tell you what, I've come to know Joe. And I know where Joe's heart's at. And if Joe trusts Ozzy, and Joe says to me, he's got a powerful testimony, I tell you what, I think I'm going to like Ozzy. You get to know the people who know somebody, and you get to know that person. Get close to people who are followers of Christ. Now, sometimes they're just followers in name only. I'm a Christian, right? But you, and it's like, oh, yes, they're hypocrites. or those. I, I understand that. We're all fleshy people, and we mess up. But spend time around people who have that interest to worship, trust, love, pursue, and obey Christ. And you'll start to pick up things. I could go on and on about this, but I want you to know this. You are not at loss to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ just because Jesus Christ said, it's to your advantage that I go to the Father. If I go, I'm going to send my spirit back and dwell within you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then I'm going to... um, Come again someday and take you to be with me where I am. I can get to know Jesus and have spiritual maturity now, even though I've not yet seen him. You see, Jesus has forgiven you of your sin. Jesus has adopted you as a child if you're a follower of his. But Jesus has also come to dwell within you and place around you the opportunity for you to grow in spiritual maturity and to know him. I want to know Christ. Is that a hunger and a longing of your heart? Are you a Christian? You bet I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I hope that context comes to your mind. Now, I hope that it's not on the end of a gun someday. How tragic would that be? But we are identified with the one who was crucified, who gave his life. And if he would so choose to ask me, I trust in that moment, I would be able to have the faith that it would take to not deny him, but to follow through and claim who he is. The Apostle Paul labored in this. That's why if we go to this verse in Colossians 1.28 and then NIV 84. And by the way, I don't know if you know this sometimes. I've had people tell me this little sidebar here, a little cul-de-sac. People say to me, Carrie, you use the NIV, but your NIV is not like my NIV. Well, the NIV has some different versions. 1984, then there's a 2011 version. And believe it or not, they changed some words around for some different reasons. This is one of those texts where they actually do it. I just showed you the NIV 2011, and it used the word fully mature in Christ. Here it says we may present everyone perfect in Christ. All right? But I like the NIV 84 as it relates to the next verse. It says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy. It's the word labor. It's the word struggling. And it's unfortunate that there's a chapter 2 that changes right there. And we're going to see that in a little bit. But here's the next statement that I want to present to you. To have spiritual maturity... Is, is to have this relationship, but it's, it's going to be something else. Look at Colossians 2.1. It says this, 
I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for all those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. The struggling of verse 29, the struggling of verse 1 is the same kind of context. There shouldn't be no break there really. Paul is laboring. He's talking out. He's speaking out. He's writing out how he in prison is praying and he's writing and he's encouraging and sending people so that they may have this maturity. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at the awakening in Marietta. Well, I didn't really say that, but he means that. And for all who have not met me personally, my purpose is that they may become encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that a beautiful kind of statement? I think he does labor. He's just not, hey, this is off the top of my head. Hey, I just send my notes, send it away. He's praying. He's seeking inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's laboring. These Christians in Colossae, they're sort of being confused and conflicted with some other thoughts. We'll mention that in a second because he mentions it. But he says, I want you to know the full riches, to have complete understanding, to know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of the hope in you, which is Christ. He's laboring to see them, to come to spiritual maturity. The word labor is sort of a farming term. The word struggling is sort of like a, a, a striving towards, like a, an athlete strives towards things. And he's consumed with this. I think maybe it might be helpful to change the name. Part of me wishes it was only mentioned three times Christian was in the New Testament. The other word that's really mentioned more is the word disciple, from which we get discipleship. You know, the apostles, they were disciples before they were apostles. And maybe we need to go back to that term. Jesus commanded us to make disciples of all nations. And so maybe the word disciple has more of a, of a weightedness to it. That's why I said maybe I would claim to be a, a Yeshua disciple. A disciple of Jesus means one who comes under discipline, teaching and training and mentoring is what happens when you're a disciple of someone. And, and here in, in Scripture, we could like, you know, see that the word disciple is used much more than the word Christian. And maybe in our culture, maybe my question to you today is for spiritual maturity is not are you a Christian, are you a, a disciple one who's disciplined to come underneath the training. If that's true and you like the word discipleship, then I say this. Nothing is more important for mature Christian discipleship than a fresh, clear, true vision of the authentic Jesus. It goes back to discovering him and learning and leaning into him and finding out who he's like. He goes on there in Colossians 2, 4 and says this, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. What was happening in Colossae was sort of this early form of something called Gnosticism, which basically was the spiritualism of Jesus, saying that there was some elite knowledge. They sort of broke it into two groups of people. So you had your common, ordinary person that's a part of the herd, Christian disciple, and so that's good. But then they were starting to articulate, well, there's the other people who have this special kind of revelation and knowledge, and they're like really the in crowd, and it's just for certain people. And Paul was adamant 
completely against this. And so he wrote, what are you doing? Don't be deceived by these people with fine-sounding arguments. Oh, there's some special form of Christianity over here that's not for you. No. The special form of Christianity is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And discipleship has to do with knowing Jesus and all of his vibrancy and newness and catching a fresh vision of him. If you want to have spiritual maturity, if you want to be a disciple, then pursue Jesus and knowing him. And, and then he would simply say this, maturity in Christ is emphatically not open only to the special few. It is open to everybody. Nobody need fail to Attain it. I doubt that they'll have me speak at one of those NA meetings. But there is nobody in any room that's outside of the ability for Jesus Christ to touch, change, and transform and for that person to come into full maturity in Christ and to know Him. Not one. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, a center passage of not only this text, but also the rooted experience that we've launched on Wednesday nights. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, I exhort you, I plead with you, I beg with you, I struggle with you. You received him by faith. Move into this aspect of your faith that you continue to live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Epaphras was the man who launched the Christian faith there, most likely in Colossae. They were taught about that faith. Be strengthened in it as you were taught. And then overflowing with thankfulness. I conclude with this exhortation and maybe you need this not only as a Christ follower this morning, but as somebody who is laboring for Christ. Maturity in Christ is the goal both for ourselves and for our ministry to others. Sometimes with the Apostle Paul, you identify with who he's writing to and you say, hey man, that's me. You just write that letter to me. Then there's other times that I climb maybe in the prison with Paul or wherever he's at, and I go, man, that's my heart for other people. I didn't mean to piggyback on this children's thing too much, but maybe you can relate to that because it's perceived as a children's ministry kind of thing. And whether it's children's ministry, whether it's student ministry and helping as a volunteer there, or adult ministry, whether it's through your small group, rooted group, whatever it may be, I want you to know this. God is not only looking for you to be a broken person related to your own spiritual maturity. He is looking for people who will be broken for the sake of the spiritual maturity to be formed in other people. That is a burden I see a lot of people shed off of them. There's days I wish I could as well. There's days that I do. Monday's my day off. I try to forget it. But then I'm reminded all fresh again, oh yeah, I have a calling. And my calling's not only to Jesus, to know Christ, but also a calling to make Christ known.
Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us the burden to see our lives grow into spiritual maturity and completeness. And Lord, I pray not only that we would have that burden to grow into spiritual maturity and to know you in the freshness and the vision and the authenticness of who you are, but that we would have a burden to see others grow into spiritual maturity as well. Lord, take our lives, use our lives as a church to be able to reach people who this very hour maybe are far from you, but maybe they're people also that have struggled trying to carry their faith rather than their faith carrying them. And they are Christian, maybe in name only, but they've not discovered the true riches. May we labor in prayer, in writing, in relationship building, in loving, in taking care of them, maybe even in giving you know, them provisions, Lord, that we would be able to see them come into spiritual maturity, which is centered on you. Lord, we know the word perfect doesn't mean without fault for ourselves as well as for others. But that word that stands behind the word perfect, behind the word maturity, is a word that talks about the essence of fullness. And Lord, may we find fullness in our lives and see fullness come about in others. Lord, may we labor, may we struggle to know Christ and to make him known. Amen. We're going to close with this song about the fullness of the Lord again. And we just ask that you would continue to worship him. And maybe there's some things you need to reflect back to him at that time. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as the connection cards. This time we're going to continue to praise God. And I loved how when it comes to to knowing the Lord, one thing that I love about him we sung earlier is that what it means to know the Lord. You know, it's like uh, how I know on stage here I get to have the privilege of being able to to worship with all of you as family. But also it's like I get the privilege of knowing, you know, my 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 blood family too. I get to my brother. I get to worship with him a lot, which is really awesome. Um, my mom and dad, 